The reading today is from Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Thank you so much, Jamie. I appreciate it. There is a phrase that we use occasionally. We'll say something like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And by that, we use it to say there's something on the surface that we can see, But below, what we can see is probably something massive that is just as real, but is not as visible to us or not as easily in view. Just the tip of the iceberg. And and I find as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, if you're just joining with us, we've walked through Matthew 5, now we're in Matthew 6. This is one of those that I I feel like my understanding of it is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's this massive amount of things that Jesus wants us to know and learn. The passage that Jamie read is actually one of those passages that doesn't seem to be that complicated. I think we can readily identify, if you will, the tip of this iceberg. So it's pretty pretty easy, pretty uh, easy to understand what Jesus is saying. He's talking about these practices, this is the word he uses in verse 1, these practices of righteousness. And Jesus had talked a lot about what it meant to be righteous. 
what it meant to live a life of surpassing righteousness. He had even closed the previous chapter by saying, you ought to be perfect, just like your heavenly father is, is perfect. And righteousness, we've, we've mentioned this several times. These, so when we think of practicing righteousness, what is righteousness? Here's a definition we've looked at a couple times. Righteousness is a whole person behavior. It's not living one way on the outside and different on the inside. It's a whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. Whole person behavior. So what does it look like? And Jesus is talking about that. What does it look like to practice righteousness? What does it look like for this whole person behavior to be practiced? That's in accordance with God's will and his nature and his coming kingdom. Well, how Jesus will address this, kind of our righteousness and our devotion to him, how he will address this is by first giving a warning. And that's what verse 1 is. Verse 1 says this, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others for the purpose of being seen by them. And this alerts us to the fact that the good activity of practicing our righteousness, which is something that Jesus wants us to do, he wants us to put this righteousness, this whole person behavior into practice, that good activity actually can go the wrong direction if our motives are off. So this is the tip of that iceberg, and and it's pretty clear. It isn't enough to do good things. It isn't enough to do good things that God says we should do. God looks at the heart. That always matters. And if our heart has some lesser motive, Jesus Jesus is telling us, be careful here. Be cautious. Beware. Because God's not honored by that. We kind of summarize it, what we'd say... The dominant impression you get from these verses is pretty simple and straightforward. As you practice righteousness, God doesn't want you to be a show-off. As you practice righteousness, God doesn't want you to be a show-off. And he goes through these practices, and I just want us to to look at them individually, these separate practices of what it means to, to show that we're righteous, and how do we do that in a way that's that we're not a show-off? The first way that Jesus talks about practicing our righteousness is by giving to the needy. That's what he says in verse 2 to 4. That's kind of the first way we're going to practice that we really are righteous. There are so many passages in Scripture that talk about giving generously and that that's a characteristic of God's people. So if you go to the Old Testament, you'll find all kinds of references. If you go to the New Testament, you'll find all kinds of references that a characteristic of God's people is that we are generous with what we have. You go to any of the major sections of the Bible. You go to, you go to most books of the Bible. They're going to point you in this direction that a characteristic of the people that follow God, that really know him, is that they will give to those in need. This is how they will show their love for God. They will treat others in this way. But Jesus, Jesus says it can all go wrong. And he gives almost this absurd picture. It seems silly, like announcing this charitable giving by, with a a trumpet. Like some trumpet fanfare to say, here I am. I'm giving. And did you notice what Jesus said? This can be done like in the synagogue, where religious people gather. And it can be done on the street corner, out in public, public demonstration. 
Watch me. Look at me. I'm about to give to someone who's in need. Pay attention. Look at me. Be honored. Honor me because I'm about to do a noble thing. And Jesus says the root of this problem is that when I'm doing this deed of mercy for the purpose of being honored, that's my motivation, then I need to be aware. So this is what I don't think. I don't think Jesus is telling us, okay, no one should ever know anything you ever give, ever, ever, ever. No one should know what, who, what or who you give to, how much. It's absolutely out of bounds. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think he hits at the motive, doesn't he? That's where he's going repeatedly here. We should not give with the desire to be seen and honored by everyone. But we can give in such a way where God sees. Yeah, surely someone's going to know about it. Often, if we're given to the needy, someone often will know. And they may even know the amount. But where's the motivation in our heart? Are we giving for him? As we practice righteousness, particularly giving to the needy, yeah, God doesn't want you to be a show-off. That's the tip of this iceberg. But then he goes on to another practice of righteousness, and that isn't just giving to the needy, but it's praying. It's praying. The next way Jesus speaks of practicing your righteousness involves the, the subject of prayer. And it, it's in verse 5 to 15, as you see on the screen. So that, that's a good portion of this scripture is tied to praying. And I actually do want us to look more in detail about the Lord's Prayer. So I want to pick that up, Lord willing, next week and dig into specifically the Lord's Prayer. I want to give attention to that. But, but specifically, let's just focus in on how this kind of relates to the other practices. So Jesus says, don't pray again. And we've got this spectacle of standing up on a street corner where everybody can hear you pray or, or standing up so that everybody notices you in a religious gathering in a synagogue. He says there are hypocrites that do that. Don't be like them. There are those that are play acting. They're playing a part. Don't be like them. They just want to be seen. There's a different way to practice your righteousness. And Jesus says in verse 6, this is the way I want you to practice it. You go into a room, and you close the door, and you pray to your Father. So again, I'll say, I don't think this precludes you or I ever praying publicly. I did so a few minutes ago. I didn't do so with a, with a conscience like I'm disobeying Jesus. And actually, even the Lord's Prayer is our Father. It's a plural thing. So like we're, we're praying that someone's voicing a prayer together. So I don't think anybody's out of line by doing that. It does, though, it does make me think before I lead a prayer, before I pray in public, am I praying so that, so that you hear me and are impressed? Or am I praying that, so that the Lord hears my cry, hears my request? And as we practice this righteousness of praying, God doesn't want us to be show-offs. And there's one more, and it actually comes at the end of the section that Jamie read, and that's not just giving to the needy or praying, but also fasting. So it picks up in verse 16 to 18. So this is, this is what I understand fasting. Fasting is purposely going without food so that you might heighten your awareness of your spiritual needs. That's, that's I think, what Jesus is commending. The, the practice of going without food to heighten your awareness to spiritual things and spiritual needs a sacrifice of something that maybe is even a routine part of your life, like eating for a greater goal. And Jesus says, this is a good thing. And it's been noted before, and maybe you saw it again, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, and if you give, and if you fast. He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. So he actually expected us to be doing these things, but he, but he tells us, be on guard here, be careful. 
Because there are those that will just make it painfully obvious that they have gone without food. There are those that will find a way to bring it up in conversation or make sure everybody knows that they're doing this heroic deed and they'll make sure they get that attention. He says, don't do that. Don't go down that road. Don't do that just to be seen. We're not doing this to impress others. As we practice our righteousness, God doesn't want us to be show-offs. That's the message. No one likes show-offs. God's told us not to do this. There's spiritual danger involved. And that leaves such a dominant impression that I, I wonder at times that we see that tip of the iceberg and we don't realize what is beneath this instruction from Jesus. I feel like I've read this, I don't know how many times, this passage. And, and I feel like I, I have seen the tip of this iceberg for a long, long time. What, what I don't know is that I've actually gotten a little bit below the surface. I feel like the Lord was bringing to my attention things that are actually there that I, I haven't necessarily drawn my attention to before. And I should have noticed it. And I want to draw your attention to some of these words. And hopefully we see that the tip of this iceberg is sitting on this massive, massive thing. Because there are two words that come up again and again in these verses. Maybe this afternoon you can even go through it and mark like where these verses show up. But seven times in the 18 verses that were read earlier, Jesus speaks of a reward. A reward. So it comes up again and again. And the reward is often in connection with a word that's used ten times, and that is the word father. Sometimes it's our father. Sometimes it's our father in heaven. Sometimes it's your father. Your father who's in heaven. But ten times in 18 verses. So if I put those things together, there's something about a reward, and that reward is especially connected to our father. And then I begin, okay, let's go just a tad bit below the surface and try to figure out this discussion, because I think... More is involved than just Jesus telling us not to be a show-off. Jesus doesn't portray these kinds of, like, practicing our righteousness and say, yeah, that kind of practicing, just to show-off, yeah, that, that does not honor me. I'm not really happy about that. I'm not impressed by that. You're out of line when you do that. He isn't just calling out hypocrites. What I see Jesus doing is actually guarding and protecting a relationship we have with him. What do I mean by that? If we try to get below the iceberg and we think about these particular practices of righteousness individually, I think we'll see how much this is connected to a relationship. So I mentioned earlier, Jesus talks to the first practice of righteousness was giving to the needy. So, so I, I thought about that. So what's going on when we give to the needy? Well, God... Listen, God's God, so God could have just decided to take care of all the hungry people in the world. He could have done so by just raining food down from heaven. He's done it before, the Bible tells us. He could do it again. So when someone was hungry, he could just drop food from the sky and provide for needy people that way. But did you notice What Jesus is saying is that God invites us to participate with him in taking care of those in need. And he does that by giving us, by giving us more than we need. Giving us enough that our basic needs are met and we have the opportunity to, to, to share with those that are in need. 
And by that, God isn't just dropping stuff from heaven to needy people. He's actually using you. He's using me to help meet those needs. We get to do God's work with him. And part of the, I think part of that is our reward with our Heavenly Father. We get to participate. You see, most people in this world, whether they're spiritual, religious or not, most people find like when they give, they feel refreshed. And I think that's exactly because that's the way God wired us to be. But for those of us who follow Jesus, there's something more than just we feel like we've done a good thing. We actually have a relationship with God and we can see it in those terms. God is working through us and so we are blessed. And when we give to others, they are blessed and we are blessed knowing that their need is taken care of and that God once again provided their need through us and we get to participate in all of it. What a great God. How great of a reward that is. I don't know that when I read reward in scripture, I have, to, I have to be honest, I don't know that I've processed all of what rewards are like. I don't know whether are they physical, are they spiritual, are they you know, partially enjoyed here, are they enjoyed for eternity? I mean, I have some ideas, but I, I, I don't know that I'm fully cemented on what all that is. But I do know this, Jesus said, if you're just doing it to get other people's attention, you got your reward in full. And that's all you got but there's something that can way, way outlive that. So give to the needy. And as you're giving, just know that God is invested in a relationship with you and he's using you to be a blessing to others. What about the practice of righteousness, not just giving to the needy, but praying? Well, I thought about this. So God could have created this world where he is very, very distant. God could have made prayer essentially a vending machine, right? You just kind of put it in, out it comes. You got the formula all worked out. God could have designed prayer to be that. But actually the way he designed prayer is that some of the first words out of our mouth when Jesus said, I want you to pray like this, the first words out of our mouth are our Father. This is not a vending machine. Immediately as we pray, we are identifying ourselves. We are your sons. We are your daughters. You are our Father. We have a relationship with you. And so even in the practice of praying, this isn't just something we do on autopilot. We are reminding ourselves again, I have a relationship with the God of the universe, and he is my heavenly Father. He is looking after my needs. And not only that, but in the context of a relationship, I can go to him and say, this is what I need. I can can tell him, this is what's on my heart. And in that, we deepen our relationship with him, and at the same time, we enjoy his provision, or we pray and ask the Lord to, to take care of others' needs, and we enjoy that as well as we see our Heavenly Father taking care of things that we asked him for. It's about our relationship. That's exactly what prayer was designed to be. What a reward that is for God's people. Are you beginning to see, so the iceberg says, the tip of the iceberg says, yeah, don't be a show-off. And then you go deeper and go, here's why. Because God is guarding something very, very precious, and that is our relationship with him. And he doesn't want us to hijack that for some silly reason. What about fasting? I was thinking about fasting because God could have started this world and really gave us no sense of anything but just right here and right now. This world, we can lay our eyes on it. 
We can imagine today, maybe the next day, we live for this moment and whatever we can get out of it just today. God could have made us just wired like that, but he did not wire us that way. As humans, we long for something much more than just what we can see immediately or what could be accomplished in the next five, ten minutes. We give ourselves to something much greater than just one, one little moment. We're willing to make sacrifices in all kinds of areas of our life for something because we know I'll, I'll sacrifice this because this is so much greater. I just saw a couple visual illustrations of this yesterday. So yesterday I was at a fine arts festival for Wilmington Christian School, and I was watching as some of the choirs and the orchestra and, and, and ensembles sang, and, and what was very, very apparent is there had been a lot of sacrifice of time that had led up to that moment where they would perform. There was a saying no to a lot of things. So that in that moment, there could be this coming together with with, with music. And then later on in the day, I went to the Newcastle County track meet, and I was watching and just watching as there are some great, great athletes and great, great runners who, this is what I know, for them to run like they did, they would have had to, they would have had to give an hours of, of things. They would have to sacrifice. They would have to say no to comfort and convenience many, many times. And they would do that because something was greater than the comfort and convenience for that little moment. They disciplined themselves for something greater. This is how God's wired us. And as I thought about it and thought about it in a spiritual context, I thought, well, when it comes to fasting or really any sort of discipline, this is what we're saying. We are saying that we are willing to deny ourselves of something that has temporary value because we want something that, and maybe better said, we want someone who is eternal. So we would say, I'm willing to go without food, or I'm willing to say no to this in my life as a matter of discipline, because there's someone who is far more valuable. There's a person that's far more valuable to me. What a privilege that God has wired us this way. Do you see why Jesus highlights these things? Do you see why they're so much more than, and if if you've thought of just prayer and giving as just basic routines you go through, I hope you see them in a, in a very, very different light today. This is more than just a religious practice that some pastor or priest has compelled you to do. This is foundation to your relationship with him. This gives you its essence. This is a taste of the gifts that God has given to those who would follow him. Sometimes analogies help me understand like passages of Scripture better. So imagine with me that, imagine with me you're in uh, an airport and imagine that there are friendly people in this airport. So we're not in Philly airport, right? We're in it, you know, somewhere down south. So, but imagine you're, you're talking with someone and you happen to be talking to this person next to you and they, they seem to be very, very interested in you. They're talking and they're engaged and you find them very, very interesting as well. And then as you begin to talk, as you're waiting on your flight, it comes out that they are rich and, and they are very well known and they are very well connected. And for some reason, it seems inexplicable to you. They want, they want to have some sort of relationship or friendship with you. They want you to succeed. So they, they offer that. They say, Let, let's, let's talk more. They, they offer to meet needs for you. They want to do things for you. They want to do things through you and in you. They have the capacity, in, in short, they have the capacity to change your life. 
And, and you begin to see that develop. But in that moment, imagine if you had this reflex in your heart that says, actually, my friends would be really, really impressed if I got a picture with you. So can we just like, take a picture of us together? Because I would so like to post this. I would get so many likes by this. And people would be impressed that I got to talk to you. And imagine, imagine with me, if you decided that photo op was more important than a relationship that that person was offering. So for the sake of maybe 10 people going, I like that. You trade the rest of your life being changed. I think that's just a small, small picture. And on a much, much greater level, I sense that's what's happening when we trade a photo op with God somewhere in the background of our lives with a real relationship with him. You see, a huge part, I want you to know this, a huge part of God's work through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, a huge part of that is meant to bring about a new relationship with God. So the fact is we all have, we all have a relationship with God. And what scripture says is once we are his enemies because we are dead in our sins. We sung about that earlier. But what God has come to do in Christ Jesus is to make a new relationship so that we would be adopted into a new family. You see, it's always been about a relationship for God. That is always his intention and the privileges that come with that relationship. God's design is not just that he show up occasionally in our lives, but that we would be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Nothing in between. That we would have peace where before there had been strife. And when we turn from everything else and we trust in Christ, God sets in motion remaking us into exactly what he always wanted us to be. And he doesn't do it from a distance, but he does it by getting really up close and into our lives. That's what he wants. That's what he's always wanted for you. And part of that relationship flowing out of that will be practicing the very righteousness that he came to give to you. I think there's so much more here than just, yeah, don't be a show-off. I think it's saying, pursue this God who before you even knew it has been pursuing you. So I think he would tell students, I think he would tell the 15-year-old in this room, yeah, don't, don't kid yourself like there's any benefit of just riding the coattails of your parents' fate. No, God wants a relationship with you. I think he would tell the, the, the parents, the, the moms, the dads that are just grinding it out. Yeah, he wants more than for you just to have a life where you grind out trying to be a good person. For those that are entering in career, he, I think he would tell you today, life is more than just piling up money and climbing a ladder. For those who have retired or are entering into retirement, I think he would tell you, yeah, life's more than just like live in the past or live it up in the future. For those that are hurting or faithful or lonely or strong or confused or ambitious, I think what he would draw our attention to is, is a relationship. So in light of the fact that God wants a relationship with you, I just want, I want to leave two words of encouragement for all of us. So the first of those would be this. Let's stop. Let's stop trying to use our Father. And, I, and I, I mean every word that's up there. Let's stop trying to use our Father in heaven 
to get something else we really want. So you and I need to think about really hard, what do you really want? What do you really want? Is it the Father's pleasure? Is there anything in my life that's only a spiritual pretense? Is there anything in my life, are, are these scenarios that, that Jesus has told us about here, are, are, they, are they teaching us that hypocrites always just, this is what they really wanted. They wanted people to notice them. And if they got that, they were glad to use God to do it. They're glad for you to see them praying to God, and God is just incidental to that. They got what they really want, and Jesus said, yeah, you got it. Rewarded in full. God isn't ever meant, he's never meant to be your good luck charm. So let's stop. Let's stop using him like that as if we, we just occasionally acknowledge him. He'll make things go okay, and he'll always be there for us, and we'll just keep kind of acknowledging him. Don't use God that way. And maybe the heart of this is in this word to us today. Let's stop. Let's stop trading the reward of a deep relationship with our Father in heaven. So I'm telling all of us, myself included, let's, let's stop trading the reward of a deep relationship with our Father for something shallow and short-term. Think about how. Think about how pathetically short-term and shallow it is just to have a few people impressed with you. Really? Is that, is that all it ever was about for you? A few people to honor you? A little self-justification? See, I'm a pretty good person. Don't, don't you see that God wants so much more than just some sort of commercial transaction? I'm telling you, aim your sights higher than that. And, and you want a meaningful relationship with God. Don't ever be satisfied with just being Christian-ish. I know I'm talking to some who've been in church all their lives, but I'm probably talking to some who you haven't. And you go like, well, I hear that. And it's amazing that, that if it's true that God would want a relationship with me. But how can that relationship begin? Where does it start? And I would say, well, it starts with talking to him. But I would also encourage you not just to talk to him, but also talk to someone else, maybe a friend you know that loves the Lord or, or a pastor afterwards or someone with the name tag that say, I, I just need to begin. I don't really know where I would start, but I want that relationship. That's what I've always wanted. Jesus starts this passage by saying, be careful, be careful. And I think we've heard it, not just the tip of the iceberg. I think we've felt it. Be careful. But I want to end not just by telling you to be cautious, but I want you to be commissioned. Because when Jesus says, Just remember this when you give to the needy. I want Ogletown to give to the needy. I want us to practice our righteousness in this way. I want us to flood truly needy people in our church and in Newark and in this area. I want to flood solid nonprofits. I'd love for for relief organizations or orphanages, I would love for them to be flooded with gifts as Ogletown people practice their righteousness. And it stems not from a heart to impress you or impress them, but it stems from a heart to say, you have given to me, I'm glad to share. I would love Ogletown to practice our righteousness by praying. 
Let's pray. Let's go hard after God. Let's not just like once a day, but let's regularly, let's pray without ceasing. Let's regularly identify ourselves as I am your son. I am praying to my father who is in heaven. Let's ask him for things. Let's ask him. Let's boldly approach saying your will be done. Make your name great. Make your purposes. Let, let us have a taste of what it looks like when you rule on this earth. Do that, Lord. I pray that Ogletown's filled with practicing our righteousness like that. And let's discipline ourselves, not so that others are impressed, but let's say no to a thousand smaller things so that we turn our affection and our attention to the greatest thing. Church, let's practice our righteousness. Let's do it out of a heart that wants a deep relationship with the Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. Thank you for sounding the alarm for the ways in which we can make our relationship with you a transaction or a photo op. You've promised that you reward those who diligently seek you. I pray that we as your children would diligently seek you. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed, but give us grace to go commissioned, to give to the needy and to pray and to fast and discipline ourselves going forward. Lord, we ask knowing how desperately we need your help. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.